Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're rolling. No, we're not. Counting us down. No. no. Three. Uh-oh. Two. Numbers. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. If this is your first time listening, make sure that you subscribe to get this in your feed every Tuesday. Uh, and if you don't know who we are, I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And today we're joined by a special guest, Andrew Minow. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Super excited to be here. That's that Andrew Minow, that good, good Andrew Minow. Mm. You might remember him from our Yoki, Neo Yokio episode. Yeah, that show that Tari clearly remembered. Oh yeah, so good. <laughs> My favorite show. I, yeah. um, he did us the, the uh, he did Lex the favor of helping him miss out on that, that was show. The one, yeah, that was the one time I wasn't here. Yeah. That's the yep. one thing you get to missing out. All right, that's not the point of the show, is it? Yeah, it, totally. it, it is okay. yeah, sort yeah. of. It's 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 to make you miss <laughs> things, right? Um, this it, was all a long term ploy for Tari to just push me out. <laughs> he created this whole show just so he could push me out of it. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, a real power move, and uh, you know what? I respect it, guys. I play the long game. It's <laughs> it's what I do. It's who I am. But. Also, speaking of who I am, <laughs> a master of segues. Oh my gosh, the best. Yes. Um. Jeez. Oh also, <laughs> speaking speaking of who you are, I'm going to help you. Speaking of who you are, I'm pivoting you. I'm grabbing you by the shoulders this and is a, angling oh, you back in the right direction. All right, all right. I'm I'm heading there. Uh. Hey. Also, if you haven't heard the show before, here's what we do. We. <laughs> We introduce each other to different pieces of art, stuff that helped build us as people, and we use it to reflect on who we are now, and we hope that it helps you build yourself as well. Sorry, that retrospective sounds pretty introspective. The most introspective? Uh, I'm looking in myself right now. Wow. And not like a gross way, like I'm, I like my guts are open, and I'm just like looking. No, there, but not like a system of mirrors at play here. Right? No, it's all in my brain. Um, and my brain recently feasted on Monty Python, the 1975 mm. Terry Gilliam directed. Uh, it's a comedy. I was gonna try to. <laughs> it it, is. I couldn't. I couldn't decide if it was historical a historical comedy or a parody or uh, like a. What what you could kind certainly of call it a parody, a spoof, even yeah. Um, and this was uh, just a background. Uh, Lex Michael in one of our previous shows had uh, mentioned that he wanted to show it to me at one point. Um, Andrew also yes, was like, I listened to that episode and was like, no one, I don't remember this. Of course not. <laughs> Which episode? You listen. When did I say this? Oh, man. We've we've listened to a lot of the episodes. Yeah, I don't uh, want to go down that so, rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, no, you I'm have honestly to walk not... me through all 30-something <laughs> shows we've done until right, we figure right. out when I said this on the record. Let's go back over the things you said before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, break it down. I mean, if you know at home, make sure to hit us up yeah. at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G O-U-T-C-A-S-T. God, you're good at spelling. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've never won a spelling bee. Oh, never. So, so far. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to go to the third grade and rip those kids' hearts out. Hell yeah. Um, Where in the rules does it say that a grown man can't compete in those things? That's true. It's Air Bud rules. Yeah. There's no rules that says a dog can't play basketball. Exactly. Um, but... <laughs> 
I was just like, all right, I guess I'm going to see where this is going. <laughs> but long story short, allegedly, I said on a previous show that I wanted you to see this. And Andrew, yes. you agreed that he should also partake. Yeah, I jumped on that thought and was like, I second that opinion. Yes, and so that brings us to today, yeah. in which we're talking about the movie. I know that uh, both of you guys love it. Before the show, you were kind of talking about how you can essentially quote every line from this movie. As yeah. I was watching it, I like little pieces of popular culture started like clicking into place in terms of like mm. it being the origin of those jokes. Um, but like, what was your first experience with this movie? You can go. You, I don't go, care who go goes first. It. I don't okay. care. Take um, it, run. So, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was introduced to like, kind of uh, in this weird kind of tandem thing. Like, so it culturally happened for a lot of kids and for me in like middle school, middle school, high school, right? Um, especially for theater kids. Like, it was a theater. It was like a thing. It was like if you were going to be in theater, you had to know this lexicon of jokes. Like, this was just a a thing that everyone knew. So I had the kind of like luck of my grandfather liking Monty Python like on his own merit. So I, he showed the movie to me when I was probably like 12 or 13. So it was just like a perfect time for me to be like, ah, British, hilarious. They're banging coconuts together instead of having horses. And I just thought, I thought all oh, the whole thing was just delightful and silly and like talking back to the king and like explaining, like, you know, and just having the con, like this really well-educated, anyway, the whole movie is essentially like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a series of sketches. It's a series of sketch comedy. And it like, it was a perfect time for me to like take those bite-sized morsels of comedy mm-hmm. and like turn them into like, uh, you know, those core like weird personality traits that a lot of us weird like bearded bespectacled like white guys have you know okay. it's like this weird lexicon and like i say that but like i'm looking across the table from another bearded guy I'm who nodding's not wearing his glasses but i think probably has some i got my lenses he's in. got his lenses in. see this is what i'm getting at like i'm not being racist against us but we all oh, no, we like fit the this stereotype movie. to a t <laughs> and yeah it sounds like you're monty python weebs there's like a there's like a, a weeb uh <laughs> <laughs> it like did like a weeb look, and you're all just like, "Oh man, this is the Pi- <laughs> Python." I, I see one of my brothers out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just like can tell. You look across the table, and you're like, "That guy likes Monty Python." You say "knee," and he like looks at you in that way. They're like, "Oh, he knows the secrets." You know, <laughs> it's silly. Yeah, it's totally like a. It's almost a cult. It's so silly. Yeah, it's like the. It's almost like I I, I equate it to like a Rocky Horror thing, where there are events where people like dress up and like quote Rocky Horror and like reenact it. Like people at home do that with Monty Python because everyone is like you. you we were Lex and I were talking about how impossible we found it to take notes because we knew the whole script. Like the whole thing was us finishing the lines of the other characters and remembering like, oh yeah, your father smells of elderberry. Absolutely. Like that is just ingrained in us so deeply that I feel like it was impossible for us to write anything down other than <laughs> I remember that. Like, cause that was the entire experience. Right. It was. It's interesting to hear you talk about your your discovery of it, like in terms of time and place. Because yeah, I feel like there's so much overlap. You talk to any the the bearded, bespectacled white guys that you refer to, and I guarantee there's going to be a lot of similarities in the uh, discovery process. But yeah, for me as well, I think it was probably middle school, and I remember seeing the infomercials on TV for the the box set of the of Monty Python's Flying Circus, mm-hmm. and not really having any frame of reference for what it was outside of the little clips that I saw in the info. But loving those little clips, right? And going like, what is this? Like the, the, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right, absolutely. No context for it. I had no clue what the hell they were talking about. And I went, wow, they're, that's true. That's Nobody amazing. does expect the I Spanish literally Inquisition. <laughs> had that exact same experience of, of not knowing the show yet and seeing those infomercials and being like, uh, something about a parrot? Like, I gotta know what the rest of this thing is. Right. And like approaching it from that like weird kind of teased thing. Right. But because, you know, you had to get you had to get your parents' credit card and call this number or whatever, <laughs> right. I didn't get to Monty Python's Flying yeah. Circus until a good deal later. But the movies, if you we're, we're dating to but even right if you live near a blockbuster <laughs> or god forbid a hollywood video oh, you could you could go in and you could grab the movies and uh there were what i think four four theatrical features that they right. did holy grail being the second one life of brian uh, now, life we, of brian now we have to third 
I think, and now for something completely different was their first movie. And essentially it's sketches from their show without the laugh track and obviously slightly higher production value. Right. So that was a great way to to introduce myself to their sensibilities. Again, it's material lifted directly from the show. So I had a pretty good sense of who these guys were now. And then you get to Holy Grail and all of a sudden it's like your your head just gets pulled open and all of a sudden this entire new universe of sensibilities gets poured into your brain and and like yeah it's this it's this introduction to a comedic sensibility that i i think yeah if you're a little bit weird as a young kid you're looking for without consciously looking for it and all of a sudden you find it and it's like oh my god here's this language i've been trying to speak and i'm now being given like a rosetta stone to learn how to speak it exactly and it was also like this weird kind of culture of quoting, you know what I mean? Like in, in, in middle school and high school, the beginning of high school, especially there was like this weird, like, and it seems weird now because I feel like a grown ass man being like, yeah, yeah, we spoke in quotes. It was just the times, but like, that's exactly what it was. The people who like wore it as a badge of pride that they could speak primarily in references. And for a long time, I remember being young enough, and hearing it and going, wow, I wish I was that worldly and cultured. <laughs> and now, of course, getting older and going like, that just sounds like a boring conversation now. <laughs> it's, it's such a strange, it's such a strange thing to think that this was so important to know, like, in and out. Right. You know what I mean? And so that in, like, everyone around us was also, like, in, in my kind of a weird circle of friends or whatever at the time would, like, just kind of, like, turn to you and be like, she turned me into a newt or something like weird out of the movie just for like uh, apropos of nothing. Right. And it was just, a we- I think it was, I think it was kids learning how to bond with each other and being like, I like this thing. Do you also like this thing? And just kind of like using those quotes as like, a, right. like yeah. <laughs> dialogue instead of ha- having to just say anything to each other. Right. I don't know. I wonder Maybe. if that's, is that a thing? Do you guys have any frame of reference for this is that a thing that kids still have because I feel like with the exception of a couple really massive fandoms I feel like it's all become so niche and segmented now that well, we're all there's so many different pop cultural languages and I'm wondering how, yeah. how much that happens now that's true but I, I mean I I feel like there's I think that that is its own thing right like that all of the different fandoms have their own kind of language lexicon. Yeah. yeah so I feel like um, it's I feel like now it's a little more powerful in that, like, for for example, when I, before I got into, like, cons and things like that, I, it was just me being like, eh, anime thing? And then <laughs> people would be like, you're a weird person. And then, like, you go to, like, a con and essentially everyone is speaking the same language and you say a thing and like five people kind of crowd around and they're like, thing, 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 thing. And I imagine like, I think that we're probably not into the things that the kids are into at this moment. Uh, (laughs) So like we don't, we, in our eyes, there's not a lot of stuff that people are kind of like quoting, but I imagine that uh, for example, you were talking about Cuphead, I think, before we started I think so. this. Yeah. Um, and my goddaughter is, uh, she's super into both Cuphead and uh, there's this other game with uh, a devil character called Bindi. Mm. Um, and so like, I think that those are the things that they're quoting now, but it, it's very much like it, you're able to find that niche instead of just like constantly reaching out for people who are like the same things that you do. Right. Well, and and two, you alluded to it being even uh, potentially more powerful. I would imagine because there are so many things, right, and everybody's attention is going in so many different directions. If you find somebody that speaks the same ultra niche language, I would imagine that the connection becomes even more intense, right? Because right. this is when I start to feel old, right? I feel like when we were growing up, right, like whether it was the late '80s into the early to mid '90s, it feels like by comparison there were maybe like. 20 things that you could be a fan of and and now it feels like there's about 20,000 things you could potentially be a fan of and we also came from an era of catchphrases I just want to point out like we came from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they were like cowabunga dude and that's all you needed to know or say to be like oh that dude's a good dude (laughs) like now it's like there's a lot more intricacy to the language and it's not just like a catchphrase you know 
Yeah, and the weird thing about it now is that that language changes so quickly because a lot of it is very meme based, and and now right. that we have the internet and we have everyone essentially dumping like into contributing this pot to the madness. of yeah, uh, then we <laughs> the uh, internet as a melting pot of madness. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we for example, everyone was talking about how the what are those quote from Black Panther? Everyone's like, oh man, it's two years old, but it's like. I mean, two years is not a long time. Like right. languages take thousands of years to develop. And so like just the fact that this one piece of language is outdated in the course of two years is really crazy. But also not for nothing, right? Like you referenced that specific moment in Black Panther. The first time I saw it, I had no clue she was referencing a vibe. I didn't know the meme. Nor did I. I just, I thought it was just a really fun, cute character moment and yeah. like it completely works free of any additional context which is but, super great right i mean that's good writing and directing yeah. um and performance um but then i doing a little bit of reading and it's like oh they're very specifically referencing a meme that was a big enough deal to put in this movie and more people seem to get the reference than not but yeah that was just something i completely missed so that speaks to like how quickly it changes yeah if you miss something the week it's a big deal you might not ever know that it was a thing thing at all like That's you're true. Ta- like you talk about it's a vine like i completely missed vine that vine was little thing <laughs> i didn't i didn't i didn't get the vine so <laughs> it dates me i'm sure but like i bet a lot of people had the vine and now i'm missing the vine maybe the way we had like lime wire or something like oh lime wire i remember when kazaa when you could get whatever movie you wanted <laughs> you just typed it in and the internet provided it's just weird we're like we're these old we are these monoliths of a weird bygone <laughs> culture. Out. Old man corner. Old man corner. <laughs> we like the old British comedies. But I also wonder too, right? Like I feel like young people especially, and I don't know too terribly much about the intricacies of what young kids are watching on YouTube now, but what little I've gleaned makes it seem like there is a, a, just a surge of like ultra absurdist stuff that little kids are being turned onto like from very young ages and this isn't even me talking about like we should probably look into how this is affecting developing minds (laughs) though we should probably look into how this is affecting developing minds but my point is just now young american kids are being so uh inundated with high absurdity from such an early age i'm wondering if something like bringing it back if something like monty python would be as completely mind-bending for like a middle schooler now that's a good question. I don't think so. Because I think, like, let's talk about, let's get into the movie a little bit. But, like, um, let's talk about, like, the conversational tone. Especially between, like, the king in the beginning. Because that's, like, pretty much the first, that's our first tableau after the credits, which we can talk about, too. But, like, llamas. after, well, delightful, like, all of the, all the Ecuadorian llamas directing this movie. Um, but once we get the first kind of tableau of there is the king. And, you know, there's Patsy doing the coconuts. Fantastic. Then we get kind of the king talking to, like, about his quest, these just kind of, like, peasants, these just kind of normal people who are the most educated people in the movie, arguably, the smartest people in the movie. And and it just kind of gives you, like, what I think is, um, like, essential to this genre, which is, like, the reversal of roles. Like, you have a brilliant peasant and the kind of, like, simple king. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's easy and fun, and it feels so, like... I don't know. It's good. It's good times. They're coming to take me away. <laughs> um, no one can hear that. Oh, okay. These mics are too they good. So they don't hear that. They just think no. I'm straight crazy. Yeah, everyone's... There are sirens in the background, people at home. <laughs> and uh, we just found out that Andrew's a fugitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he killed that historian. Yeah. He rode by him on a horse I, yeah. and just yeah. straight yeah. killed him. Um, can I talk about how the, the only horse in this movie mm-hmm. is the one that caused... The murder, yeah. which br- brought me a lot of delight. Yes. Because um, I I figured that the horse bit was a result of... Because this movie was only made for about 200,000 uh, pounds. It does not um, look expensive either. Like, you can tell that they had a pretty limited budget right. that they were able to stretch. Right. Yes. And so, like, and having... And knowing that there is, like, a big scene where there are hundreds of extras and you assume that in the earlier drafts of the script those extras were on horses and you're like we can't afford that like the (laughs) just let's take for example modern budgets where the scene in game of thrones where Jon snow 
is uh, essentially being tr- uh, not trampled, but he's being run at by hundreds of horses. Was probably just that scene was probably twice the budget of this whole movie. Oh, e- easily. <laughs> Although now, of course, we can also do near photorealistic CG horses. So for all we know, oh. there was one horse on that set as well. Right. Probably not. They probably had at least four horses for Game of Thrones. But like, <laughs> still, gotta, they might have hope. had a ton of CG horses <laughs> that the, the technology wasn't in place for in 75, let alone the budget. Right. This is like, uh, what, four? No, this is two years before Star Wars. And then yes. all of a sudden, they'll, they, they'll all be like, wow, we could just get miniature horses and like mat, mat it into the shot. But we weren't even at miniature horses yet. Right. I mean, yeah, the 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 biggest miniature, the biggest miniature, smallest of miniatures that they could do was like the the set pieces where it's like, that's a castle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I feel like we're just going to mislead people as aggressively as possible in terms of film history and at what point which technologies developed. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that they had miniatures before 1970. No, everything that we say on this podcast <laughs> is canon. Uh, well, I know for a fact that um, that they definitely have at least they have a couple minis, you know, for the for the castle that they, that Patsy calls a mini, is right? Calling it out, it is a straight up a cardboard cutout yeah. that they use some forced perspective with, which I think is delightful. They did have two castles, which so all the castles that you see in the movie are two different castles that they just shot from different angles and dressed differently. Yeah, so that's also very delightful. But I also I, like that both castles look like boxes yeah. essentially they yeah. look like there's basically one room and a parapet mm-hmm. <laughs> which i guess is maybe like how all castles are in scotland I don't, I don't they know. got they got the i need to take castles. the tours <laughs> they got the budget castles if they had a little bit more if they had like 200 more dollars they would have put like a big matte painting like mm. right behind it and it would have been huge looking but yeah budget castle right budget of castles. course i think though and i think you guys are touching on this a little bit though this thing and especially so let me back up a little bit. The, yeah. I, I watched this with a little bit of a new pair of eyes, and that little bit of a new pair of eyes is just from like taking comedy classes for the last like several years, right? Like this movie is such a like a crash course in comedy mm-hmm. and like how comedy works and how like it's all just beautifully written. Like, and this whole thing is essentially like a series of vignettes, it's a series of sketches, like kind of linked together by the main characters, you know. Um, but I, I I think that one of the points that I'm trying to make here is that um, the the budget like quality of the movie is part of the comedy. Yes. It's like such a big part of it. Like the coconut thing wouldn't have happened if it if they had a budget for horses, you right. know. So I don't know. I just think it's delightful. I I think real good, real wonderful ideas are born of necessity. Yeah, I mean that is like a very big thing in in movie making is that like a lot of the best things that came a lot of the best most memorable things that come out of movies are uh born from either malfunctions or uh lack of budget like we, like everyone cites the the jaws thing mm-hmm. where you know the the machine kept uh either sinking or malfunctioning so they're like Let's put as little shark in it as possible. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, gee, it's so scary because there's no shark. You yeah. Know, you can come from anywhere. Why are they scratching their faces? That's, oh, they have itchy faces. You don't know? So, they got like goose flesh on That's, their yeah. faces. They're so scared yeah. of this. They're, try, they're subconsciously trying to calm their cheeks. You ever heard someone say, like, calm your cheeks? Nope. Okay, well, now you well, have. Yeah, usually they're talking about butts, but in this case, in this specific movie, <laughs> specific movie. it's uh, it's their it's face. face their butt cheeks. Face cheeks. Damn it. Dang it. I do it every time. Whoa. Classic <laughs> face butt cheeks. Classic Tari. <laughs> Maybe. Um, anyway. face butt material. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, so, I, I think I had a question. Yes. Please. Um, because let us I, break this movie down for you. I mean, no, it's not like it's not even like a, a movie question. It's more of a time uh, question, because I imagine that in the the span of comedic features, uh, this movie was kind of like the first of its kind um, or at least like one of the first 10 of its kind. Like I imagine it was very groundbreaking at the time. And like right now. I can kind of even see and trace where a lot of the comedy that we take in uh, drew its its origins. Like I know that Matt and Matt Stone and Trey Parker met b- 
because they essentially were speaking the same language, which was Monty Python. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, in terms of farcical spoofy comedies, like where this kind of lands. I would say certainly in terms of uh, like hot, like farcical, absurd, especially British comedies. I would I would think this would be one of the first certainly to break through in the way that it did. I don't know. This is I a mean, good question. I don't off the top of my head. I feel like I can't cite like. Yeah. I'm going to make a site like a vamp, sightless vamp claim, for a Look, which guys. is that this is the Citizen Kane of this sort of movie. Like this is the godfather of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've I established make that claim that, based on nothing. Well, we've established <laughs> that anything that's said on this podcast is canon. Right. So like the uh, film history is updating as we are recording. Yeah, someone and is doing or, the Wikipedia entry as we speak. Right. Because what we say is, is law canon. canon. Um, I was trying to vary it up because I didn't want to keep being like, canon, 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 Lannon? canon, Caw. canon, it's canon. Okay. Oh, that uh, is the end of that. But so uh, <laughs> you got a banter uh, on it. Yes, I'm I'm struggling a little bit to find too much about its context in, uh, in the society. greater comedic cinematic history. I am seeing little bits uh, that are totally unrelated to that point, but I find really interesting, like about how Graham Chapman, who plays uh, among other characters in the movie King Arthur, uh, uh, ve- uh, very notoriously dealt with pretty severe alcohol addiction for a number of years. So he was still dealing with that while they were making this movie and he was suffering from, um, what is it? Acrophobia and also bouts of forgetfulness while they were making the movie. And I think at a certain point he, he took a break and he said, all right, I got to get a handle on this for the remainder of production. And I think then he returned to production and it went a lot more smoothly. And I think it was a couple years later that he finally managed to quit drinking altogether. Has nothing to do with what I jumped into the internet to figure out, <laughs> but interesting nonetheless. Yes. Interesting. Um, do you think the turning point was him finding the grail? Do you think that like while he was taking his break, He's like, guys, I actually found the grail. And they're like, but we're just making a movie. And he's like, but no, no like. This isn't a movie anymore. I, found, yeah, I drank This is my real life. And now I am Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then, like, it took it to being, like, fourth wall breaking to it broke, like, all the walls. And yeah. then the murder that happened in the movie actually happened. And so, like, they had to stop it. They're like, we got to recoup our money. So let's just. Let's just edit it all together like it's a joke. And then uh, it just became a whole bunch of things. I feel like what you're describing raises at least one ethical question. Like, is this a Which... snuff film we just watched? Is that what you're saying to us? Um, I mean, maybe. Oh, wow. He, Graham Chapman is the only Python to have passed away. So far. Ooh. Ooh. So See? far, I believe I do believe. Last I heard, I love that uh, you say he's the only one to have passed away. Like the rest of them aren't going to. <laughs> well, to have passed away thus far, I I do believe. Um, this was very sad news when I heard it. Uh, I believe Terry Jones, who co-directed this movie, uh, is suffering from dementia. Oh no! Which yeah, that, that was, is very sad. That was a huge, huge, huge bummer. But and the rest you, of now them, you've just told all of the fans of his that didn't know as well. Uh, sorry, you had to hear it from me. I guess. I mean, I I hate hearing news from myself. Even good news just has a stink on it anyway uh, <laughs> yeah. but no every the the other members uh john cleese michael palin terry gilliam and eric idol are all still active all still working yeah nice so we just took a sad a sad detour and now we're and getting back onto the highway we jumped on happy highway yeah. and we're headed back towards the sun you know what i'm saying oh yeah that's how i, I talk know now. i get it it's cool uh let me get us back on track Perfect. By breaking out into song. No one's going to stop me. I was No, I was enjoying it, actually. I was just taking no, it no in. Singing. Uh, yes, Not that you. way. Thank you. Huge tracts of land. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I thought you were actually going to transition into the Knights of the Round Table song, so I was waiting for it to drop. Oh, no. I've only seen this movie once. And I was going to suggest guess, that we not but record you know, the show. Whoa, whoa. So this is a great silly. chance then, since you're talking about song, do you, you know Spamalot, the musical uh, inspired by and written by uh, uh, Eric Idle, I believe? I believe he either wrote it himself or, or co-wrote, co-wrote it. it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I am familiar with its existence. Okay. Um, and I know that it's funny. Yes. And as I was watching that scene where they're like, blah, 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 spam a lot, blah, 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 blah. I was like, ah, I get it. References. Yeah. Yes. As I was saying, like a lot of things in this movie like they made a lot of internet and pop culture make sense. Yes, uh, I'm making I'm making gestures yeah. like I am popping things into place, like a puzzle piece that's yeah. like like uh, telekinetically flying into its posi- like meant position. You yeah, know? Um, something like that. It's yeah, it's like when I was watching Pulp Fiction, and a lot of internet made sense when I watched that as well. Right. Um, this, uh, I I feel like a lot of the jokes. Or have been quoted over, especially like when I since I moved to LA, I feel like it's been a bigger thing. Because like when we were talking about Friday a long time ago, I was talking about how that was our movie to quote. Mm. That was like the big thing that we would always be like, "Damn!" and blah blah blah, Smokey and all that stuff. You got knocked the fuck out, like all those. That was our big quotable movie. Uh, that and Major Pain. So like. I didn't. I don't think I got even exposed to all the Monty Python quotes beyond that infomercial that you guys were talking about. <laughs> right. Um, oh, you had the infomercial experience too. I did. Awesome. Um, so, like, I had no context for it, but that Spanish Inquisition bit got me. Um, but I had no other context for. So, it was like, sometimes someone would reference it, and then they'd look at me, and I'd not react, and then they'd go, you know, like. Monty Python, and I go, okay. <laughs> to be fair, though, you do just say okay to a lot of things. People it's say. true. Yeah, I'm the Pete Davison character from SNL. Or uh, Nathan Fielder in anything Nathan Fielder does. Yeah. See, I got that right. You don't know who that is, do you? I don't. Oh, I didn't okay. get, I've heard of Pete Davidson, but I haven't, yeah, I don't I haven't watched Davidson SNL is. in a long time. I'm like out of that loop. If, if you don't watch Nathan for you, you should it's watch it. It's a great it. show. Okay. You're plug, missing out on that. Plug, plug. Okay. He's well, the dumb... Do you, you heard of the dumb Starbucks thing, right? Yes. That guy. Yeah, that's him. Got it. So wait, hang on. Hard hard tangent really quick. Uh, Andrew, have you seen Spamalot? Yes. 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 How I, what, how recently have you seen it? Oh, not recently at all. Um, Years and years ago. Okay. Like, like I think when it, it was came like out, a, a thing. Kind of. Yeah, I think I saw a regional production of it because I did see Sarah Ramirez, the, okay. like, or the original Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Which is f- friggin' dope. Fucking no! Can I curse on this yes. podcast? We're Fuckin swearing no. podcast. So can I? Can I like? It's yes. not really a brag because I didn't accomplish anything. I Go just on. happened to. So uh, I want. I forget what grade. It was like a first couple of years of high school. You wrote for that me. musical. I wrote it. I am Eric Idle. Wow. Uh, the uh, for the freshman or sophomore year of high school, uh, I went on a drama trip to New York. Awesome. And we somehow got, for all of us that went, we got tickets to see one of the previews of Spamalot. Wow. So entire original cast. So like Tim Curry as My Arthur, uh, David Hyde Pierce as Sir Robin, Hank Azaria yeah. as Lancelot, and then obviously uh, Sarah Ramirez. And that thing, when we saw it, I guess because it was a preview, I think it was one of their last previews. Eric Idle was there. Wow. He was in the audience. He didn't get up on stage. He was in the audience. Right. So he was, I happened to notice like towards the very end of the show, people started standing up applause and Eric Idle was about as far from me. It was going to mean nothing to anyone who's not in this room with us, <laughs> but about as far from me as like the green pillow on that couch. Whoa. And Let's then he say about, to, like, uh, th- uh 10 yards. Thank you. Wow, is that yards? Three yards. Uh, That's like two yards. About three yards. It's and like- then watching him like s- hardcore stealthily while everybody else is giving a standing O applauding, just duck and literally just like have at a 90 degree angle bent over, just chugging it up the aisle so he wow. could escape before people were before like, people came you're, to talk to him. You're, you're Eric Idle. Um, that was, yeah, that was cool. Spamalot is a very fun show like if you can see it if you can see the thing stage like it's worth checking out especially to see the way that they accomplish so many things from the movie for the stage they have to get really inventive and it, right. they, they pull it off in some really cool and ways. it's such in this and it is so in the spirit of the movie yes. that like you know they really embrace that okay we're in a theater we're gonna make fun of theater things too because the people working on this will get theater jokes you know what i mean yeah like there's a whole song about how you won't succeed on broadway if you don't have any jews yeah okay yeah 
is... And they basically, they expand a bunch of sequences from the movie and add musical numbers to them. Sometimes they take musical numbers that are already there and expand them a little bit. The Brave Sir Robin song gets a couple more verses. Yes. Nice. And obviously, like, the Knights of the Round Table number is just, a, it's a much more big, oh, it's a yeah. bigger, elaborate piece. And then they also throw Chorus in... Chorus line and all that, yeah. They also throw in probably the most famous Python song from Life of Brian, uh, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Yes. They just break at a certain point so that uh, Arthur Patsy and Patsy sings can it, sing right? it. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of fun. Definitely worth checking out. I feel like for me, most of it works best in context. It's not like a Broadway soundtrack that I consistently go back to to listen outside of the show. Yeah. But in context, gangbusters. It's also one of those, um, if you are in the theater world, it's one of those shows that when you do hear songs from it, you kind of get excited. You're like, oh, they're doing this song. Awesome. Yes. If you ever see like a review or something. And know? it's the same, right? It's the same thing, right? You feel this shared sensibility. You hear the song and it's like, all right, someone in this room who put this on speaks the language that, language. that I do. You're right. You're absolutely right. See, look at that. There's another circle that we, we completed. Aww. All these circles. Do you see it? It's a perfect circuit. I see it. It's, it's a good band. It's just we're, we're the leaders in self-sustaining clean energy. Ooh. Oh, my. I don't know. I hear clean coals uh, coming back. Coals coming back. Coals that coming back. Coal. Coals I coming back. Get that clean coal coming back better than ever. Ah, uh, yeah. We can fix coal. We have the technology. Mm-hmm. We don't. <laughs> we, don't. <laughs> we definitely don't. It's coming back. <laughs> it's coming back, you guys. Yep. I'm. I'm wrong. <laughs> um. Just <laughs> we, we lost the plot. We lost the plot. A See, little this is bit. the thing: is this this okay. movie? It, it kind of lends itself to madness. So we're just we're deep in it, you guys. We're deep in the madness. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. When uh, Andrew, you said that you felt like you were able to come at it uh, this time with slightly fresher eyes. Why do you think that is? Does it have to do with like the length of time since you last watched it? I think it was mostly just that I looked at it now from like the perspective of someone who likes comedy and wants to write comedy and stuff like that. And just looking at the way that they constructed jokes, like the thrift of dialogue in this movie, let's talk about like, they don't say anything unless they have to. There are no extra lines. Even things that seem ad-libby are ad-libby in a way that... like is purposeful if yes. that makes any sense but it is a very terse movie the movie does not like take x like it does it's not long-winded at all i don't yeah. th- i don't i don't think there are any long-winded characters that speak more than a line or two at a time there, everyone is yeah. responsive you know what i mean and there are characters when when a character starts to go like at length every other character in the scene verbally or not starts to comment on it right um or outright cuts them off like when uh when palin is reading the scripture about the hand grenade and just keeps laboring the point about counting to three and yeah. eventually somebody's just like all right dude, shut up all right let's go um, exactly. But you talk about the dialogue, right? Like, and how, and how, from a number of different angles, this movie is a is a crash course in assembling and executing comedy. The pacing oh, of man. the dialogue in this movie is incredible. Like, I feel like without it is not something I ever thought about when I was in middle and high school, like really uh, learning this language essentially. But it, it's one of the most incredible ways to in, to learn and internalize pace. Because the, so the way that pauses are employed or oh, not employed strategically, when it's quick, it's quick, and there's a, a real, there's almost like a melody to it. And when it's slow, it is incredibly, every pause is like another note. Absolutely. And, and deployed so expertly and so, so specifically. It's almost like, it sounds goofy as shit, but it's almost like a diamond in its perfection and its flawlessness. I agree. No, it's the musicality of comedy. And I think they played this instrument of comedy very well. Like you think about, like you said, the pauses, like think about the newt scene where, you know, the, the, the witch and stuff. And it's like, it turned me into a newt and it quiets the crowd. And there's a silence for just a minute. And, and then they watch, look at, right. And you watch like Cleese and idol. And I think Palin just, just nothing, just no words. Right. Just watch look at each process, other for a right. second. And then, well, it got better. You know, it, it, it's kind of, this is the explanation. Come on. You know, it, it's just delightful. Uh, and, right, they, and the number of, the number of instances in the movie where it's so clearly you watch these guys and obviously the six pythons had, had been working together so intensively for, for such a, a time at that point that it makes sense. But watching them just feed off of each other's energy and all waiting for like, they all know, they can all feel when the, the moment is like exactly how much time to give before we're all ready to then take it and move us forward. And the way that they all seem to act or not act 
uh, as needs dictate in complete unison, like almost like they function as one organism. And then it becomes doubly effective when you consider that about half of them are playing two characters per scene. Right. Mm -hmm. And those characters might have entirely different rhythms from each other. Like if you look at, say, like you put Lancelot in a scene with like Tim the Enchanter, right? Both Cleese characters, but both with entirely separate and unique rhythms, diction, sensibilities, uh, ways of speaking and ways of playing off other characters. It's, and like, that's hard. Like you guys know, because you guys are super into comedy and the technical aspects of comedy as well. That's, in my opinion, one of the hardest things that there is to do performance-wise. And this movie is just top to bottom loaded with that. Like in a certain way, and uh, you can quote me as saying this, but in a certain way, uh, like movies like The Nutty Professor and like The Clumps owe, the, owe all of the ideas to this movie. Huh. Yeah. Canon. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, but I can see it, right? Like, I don't know if you point blank. <laughs> it's a bold blank, claim, but, but I'm you, making it. If you point blank asked Eddie Murphy, like, so at what point did you decide to hardcore rip off the Python stick? He'd probably get real grumpy and walk away. He, or he'd he, be like, I'm rich enough to say, mm, 1982. <laughs> he just starts singing party all the time as he walks away. <laughs> yep. He puts, um, a, puts a boom box on his shoulder, sunglasses on his nose, and walks away. But you, but you're not you're not wrong though in a way that right like I, I at what point even I mean look obviously you got to go back to like the Jerry Lewis Nutty Professor as well but that farcical sensibility where you've got one performer essentially playing multiple characters frequently having to play off of themselves yeah I mean when was like when was like uh, uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets for example in relation to this movie where Guinness plays like a whole family worth of people good question I want to say Kind Hearts and Coronets predates this but point being probably if we're if we're going to accept the possibly <laughs> but which one did Eddie watch come right. on <laughs> well I don't know in, he's, I don't know. in the Maybe clumps he he's did. playing a whole family you're right uh, but if we're going to accept the potentially fallacious argument that, <laughs> that uh, Holy Grail was the first of its kind to break through in this way Sure, I guess that it would follow from that argument that the line the line goes from there to say, sure, Nutty Professor Two, the cops. <laughs> yeah, oh, but it's also all of its success, <laughs> its wild success to this movie. I mean, but also like a a Family Guy, which is specifically that has the same like comedic sensibilities, has Seth MacFarlane playing off himself a bunch, all the time. um, and even. Like, there are fourth wall breaking cutaway jokes in Holy Grail, which is essentially a lot of what made like a family guy or a South Park. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. So they also owe their lives to this movie. Canon. Yes. Canon. Law. Mm-hmm. Law. Canon law. Yeah. This is me. I'm <laughs> Canon law. He I'm had, a, he's I'm a, a gun. wild guy. <laughs> Canon law, I'm taking your badge and gun. You broke 50 cars. You take it. <laughs> I am the law. When they reboot, law. Yeah, when they reboot Dread. God. You're my pick when they reboot Canon Dread. Canon law. And they'll watch it. Everyone will watch it, and they'll be like, how'd they get Jeffrey Wright for this? <laughs> <laughs> the long gun of the law. Doesn't look like anything to me. Uh <laughs> That's that's Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> that's your Jeffrey Wright, and, but as that character? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Lex, catch up. <laughs> Get on our level. <laughs> totally thought I saw him the other day. Hollywood. Anyway. It was just me. Oh! <laughs> you uh, got me. <laughs> um, speaking of comedy and rules, mm-hmm. um, I really liked sure. the way that they used the rule of three in this movie. Um, specifically... The the sparrow flying bit oh, that they oh, had the, going. Yeah, with the swallows. Yeah. Swallows. So delightful. Yes. I don't know the difference between a sparrow and a swallow. Don't tell me. All right. No one tell me. Everyone at no him. One, no one tell me. Actually, yeah, at me. Tell me. I, the moment you, you tell someone to get confrontational is the moment that I bring up my aggression. What is yeah, the... you at me. What is a sparrow? Oh, God. What, what is, is the a word? swallow? What is the word for bird watching? It's not arboreal. That's no, the trees. trees. <laughs> Um, it is an A. It's not the Autobahn no. Society. It is uh, definitely not the Autobahn the, Society. Uh, Let's talk about what else it's not. <laughs> it's definitely Aer- not the, the Pirates of the Caribbean fan club. 
Um, whichever, whatever not. the word is, whatever the word is for bird watching, that contingent is going to at you furiously. Oh, furiously. Please do. Don't forget to follow me at Missing Outcast. M I S S I G O U T. Um, but uh, I really liked because they 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 really play around with that rule of threes. Like so specifically, in in we had two of them in just that one scene with the um the death bridge guy where we get the first uh incident with uh Lancelot and he it's the three questions and it's easy. um yeah. and the, we get the second incident where it's uh Robin and it's bad and then we get the third one where the they bring back the sparrow joke uh or swallow swallow which one was fuck every time we bring back the swallows and then it it is the third Rule. Ornithological, by the way. Ornithological. So if you come at me, the Ornithological Society of America at Tari J. Miller about his bullshit bird ignorance. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know if you heard him just then, but he called you all ornitholes. Yeah, like, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's, it's highly like... offensive. So anyway, swallow joke. <laughs> swallow we come joke. back to the swallow joke, yeah, and yes, the tables are turned on the old bridgeman. Yeah, so good. It's very good. Rule of threes, baby. Also really enjoy in that scene where he gets his own favorite color wrong or has doubt for <laughs> that. Blue, Bre- no. Blue, no. Me. Yeah. I quite enjoy the little splat sound too when they, yes, when they land right. wherever they land. Yeah. Uh, I think I read somewhere that that's one of the first scenes they filmed and that they had the camera breakdown constantly oh, yeah, in that scene. And uh, like they had to take breaks and come at it again and again because they only could afford one camera to shoot this whole movie. <laughs> Uh, that, sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also, fun fact, just because I'm talking about fun facts really quick. Uh, you guys love that book, right? That awesome like calligraphy book that we cut to several times in the movie where oh, yeah, it's like, the, oh, the like story. All the Gilliam Don't tell me yes. how I feel. Okay. I won't. Uh, don't visit my intentions. I, I <laughs> don't tried, ever. I tried to visit, but they were not home. Following through on the joke. Lex just had like I don't know if you guys have seen Matrix Revolutions, Mm -hmm. but there's this. It's the memed like um, Agent Smith laugh where it's like ha 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 ha. That was Lex in that moment. You heard a pun. (laughs) You go even heard a pun between and we're like that's staying in. Oh jeez. Yes. Don't edit this. I won't. It's all staying. I in. never. Perfect. I never know how much garbage you leave in. I, I hope leave in this is like all half the, garbage. the show. So much so garbage. I hope, all I hope. the garbage. It's just a big. Gar- you're missing out on <laughs> sweet <laughs> garbage. Sweet. Missing out. Garbage edition. <laughs> it's the sausage. Hot garbage. Oh, it's that man. sweet, sweet oh, sausage yeah. patties. Showed- sausage Ooh. patty. Oh yeah. Patty form. Sausage, sausage patty is an awful name for a character. It's or the ooh, best name. Ooh. I don't know. There's Patty Mayonnaise. I imagine. Yeah, you're right. That's a terrible name too. Sausage Patty is her cousin. Sausage Patty yeah. and Patty Mayonnaise. Her's... What are we talking about? Patty Mayonnaise. No, from before Doug. that. I think we're trying Sausage. to talk about Monty Python, but the splat. Wait, the splat's on. Oh, the book. Comedy. The book. The book. The animation. Yes. You were oh, the book. Our yes, uh, I was just going to kind of tell you uh, that uh, the book was shot like on the floor of Terry Gilliam's home, uh, made by I believe Terry Gilliam's wife, and so the woman's hand that you see turning the pages is Terry Gilliam's wife. The gorilla hand, Terry Gilliam, that I makes believe. Sense. Oh. That he got it just like a, a joke shop down the street. And that's <laughs> that. By the way, is the exact is the type of humor that keeps me coming back to stuff like this because there's no real. There's no real joke right. there. It's There's just at no, a certain point. Just absurdity. Just right. delightful absurdity. Right. Why is there an, an, an ape's hand? Right. At a certain point, this nice uh, woman's hand that's been turning these pages is yanked away by a gorilla hand. And when we go back to the book, it's a gorilla hand turning the pages. No joke, really. It's nope. just there. Just and, that's what's happening now. Right. So, like, if if comedy is essentially right, it boils down to, like, subversion of expectation. Mm-hmm. It usually, especially, it's like when you when you watch a ton of sitcom material or a ton of like American studio comedies, you can feel the pattern, right? Like you can anticipate a joke coming, right? So, in a world where that's true, you really, at least for me as a viewer, you have to throw something at me that makes me go like, what? Absolutely, and, I think that is right. this movie, and that that is consistently not just this movie, but this entire sensibility. Like yes. if you commit to watching all of Monty Python's Flying Circus, just hours and hours and hours of that i took a delightful sketch class where one of the lessons that we got was that um 
the, I believe, Spanish Inquisition sketch was just thought up because um, the writer of the sketch sat down one day and was just like, I have to write something. I'm going to write something and just banged this thing out. It was super weird. It had no point. He didn't know where he was going with it. But it became one of the most iconic sketches in the Monty Python lexicon just because. Like, and I think that just because sort of attitude is like Monty Python to a T. Yes. So why not? Just because. Yeah. Yeah. Guys. 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 Guys, guys, guys. We're having a really intimate moment. Guys. 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 Hey, guys. Hello. Guys. Hey. Hi. Do you have, like, any final thoughts about this movie? What does it make you feel, guys? I feel like we, there me, were so you, many digressions oh, that we could go for another hour okay. just on this movie. So I feel like the thing to do might be, at a certain point, come back to another Python joint. Yeah. And that way we can we can continue to... Just to digress heavily and sure. not talk about the thing. I mean, Life of Brian. Are you thinking? I or? would totally. I feel like right. Like I feel like Life of Brian. I think Life of Brian four. lends itself to be reviewed more so than the others, just because this one and that one have the most plot as far as like. And I think Life of Brian has arguably more, slightly more plot than this one does. Yeah, like I would, this I think one a and, bit. It, and Meaning of Life, I think arguably has less. Yes, like really, there's no, there are no narrative not threads connecting of, the sketches. No. There's just like occasional no lines at all. Yeah, there's just like occasional thematic stuff that overlaps, but even then, barely. And then, and now and for songs. something completely different is just straightforward sketch after sketch after sketch. Mm, okay, okay. But at some point, we'll come back and we'll talk about more of it because, like, we we hit a bunch, but I feel like we barely scratched the surface <laughs> of what we could actually hit. Probably, yeah, because we kept talking about I don't know. Everything. Everything. Ornithologists. Great ornithologists and what and what they are also not. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you just gotta dive in and swallow. You just got a deep dive. You're missing out on ornithology. Are you bro. making a swallow joke? Hmm? hmm? Yes, I'm making um, a joke about swallows. Nice. Uh, African or That's European. Huh? Always African. Oh shit. Yeah. That would have changed that moment. Mm. Making that Wakanda forever Salute. Black yeah. Swallow. Hell yeah. What are those? Black Swallow. What are those? Oh. Ah, yeah. Yeah. This movie makes me feel um, happy because this movie does a lot of little things for itself. This is a movie that was clearly made by people who were trying to make each other laugh. And I think that is the essence of a good movie is where you can feel the joy and the camaraderie through the performances and through the intent, uh, through the gorilla hands and through the, all of it. It just feels silly and like a bunch of dudes just having a good old time. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, uh, especially let's take, for example, let's please, um, the initial, scene with Arthur and the guards. Um, I feel like just the conversation about the swallows is something is like a conversation that me and a bunch of buddies would have. Like, could a swallow carry a coconut? And like, I feel like that is the essence of Monty Python, where it's a bunch of dudes could be just three dudes hanging out just right, like they are right podcast. now making a podcast. And like, Letting all of their ideas blossom without any uh, encumbrance and things of that sort. Like I get that feeling, and I I, I feel like there's there's a, a when you're doing like improv, for example, they a lot of the times they use the term play uh, when you're just doing improv, and I feel like that is the spirit of this this movie, and and I guess this troupe. Yes. Um, which I really liked about it. A spirit of play. Yeah. The thing I didn't like is that it didn't make me laugh and it's not funny and I hate British people. Just kidding. It was great. <laughs> You're looking at me expecting British people oh, at I mean, him. I just that was it wasn't expectingly. It was more like op- giving you, you a just a, a you just want me to start opening. talking so you can cut me off and end the show. It's another power play. Um, all of it. Yes. Is. Let me feel <laughs> let me feel the powerful. Most needlessly mean long con. Um, what, I guess, what would my, my, thanks for joining us here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no. So, okay. I guess, I guess for me, the last thing I guess that's, that's worth mentioning is, uh, I had not seen this movie 
in when is this 2018 i had not seen this movie in 14 years and i know specifically that i had not seen this movie in 14 years because the last time i watched it was in february of 04 the day that i found out my uncle died and i found out about halfway through this movie oh my goodness and i have not rebit not because i was like if i watch it again someone else will die <laughs> i just didn't for a long that's time- an even better take though <laughs> i didn't even think of that but for a long for a long time i just didn't go back to it because I associated it with that memory. And then as the years kept going, it's not like I made an intentional choice not to watch the movie. I just never, I didn't go back to Python for whatever reason, but watching it this time, I remembered how much I had internalized all of it, the Mm -hmm. beats, the rhythms, the individual jokes and lines. It felt, and I know this sounds super cornball. It felt like a homecoming of sorts. It felt like, uh, being reunited with family except fun. <laughs> <laughs> except good. Yeah, except not just... just not ple- just It was pleasant. Right. Um, but yeah, so so it, that part of it was very cool. Coming back to it after such a long time and realizing, wow, it it so shaped my my perception of comedy uh, and, and entertainment more broadly that, yeah, it's just, it's all still completely nestled in there. That was cool. That was a cool discovery. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> He's calling it on his own time. <laughs> I'm, waiting, I'm just cutting myself off. Thanks for joining us here. Before you start playing me off. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Missing Out Podcast. I've been Andrew Mena, your host. Expect me next time and not these two nerds. Just kidding. It's just you alone from now on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Welcome back to Missing Outcast. Wow, Cool Angel. Kai edition. <laughs> Wow, Andrew! Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> you're um, welcome. I mean, thanks guys, for being on here. If you're if you're looking to find me other places, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Tari J. Um, and hey, I hope you can bring me back again sometime. Gosh, I hope uh, so. I, we might not have time. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. it's it's fine. I mean, I appreciate just the one opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope you guys really enjoyed uh, having me. If not, uh, that's okay. I get it. I was already bumped from this show. You were never technically on the show. No. <laughs> no. You were just filling in for Andrew <laughs> yeah, the whole this time. whole time. Everybody was being really nice, but you're going to go and cut out everything I say. Every, yeah. Everybody's been really nice. All of our assistants and all of the interns here in the mm-hmm. Missing Out studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We really got. And don't forget to thank our sponsors. Our sponsors. Um, almond milk. Almond pudding. Milk. Yeah. Pudding. Balloons. Pudding. Balloons. Um, the letter Q. Uh, yes. And, and the number 14. Yeah. Mm. That's also, a good number. Uh, butt sandwiches and uh, vaping birds, uh, all the great things, and that and all that the Jaleel White Sonic the Hedgehog Ooh. movie, yeah, yeah, and Oprah, guys, guys, thanks, giant Oprah. Oprah, thank you to Oprah, Oprah, big Oprah. shout out Oprah. to the O, hell yeah, she inspires Oprah's magazine, us all. totally. Um, I mean, since you're not coming back, Lex, where can people find you? <laughs> Oh, um, on a little island, I guess, all by myself. When I got there, I pushed the boat off into the sea, so no one will find me. Uh, but you can still tweet at me at the Lex Michael. This island has solid Wi-Fi. Dope. Awesome. Um, oh man! All right, Future Tari, hit that music. Um, thank you guys for joining us here on Missing Out. Uh, we appreciate you listening in. We got another five-star rating, no comment. So thank you for that, whomever you are. I think you know who you are because you did it. And I thank you for it. Um, and so be like anonymous person and leave us a five-star rating so we know that you love what we're doing. If you would like, uh, leave us a comment letting us know what you like about the show, uh, let us know how you feel about British comedies. Uh, and we read them here on this show. So uh, that's a bonus, right? If you're even still listening, I imagine you like what we're doing because you got this far. So yeah. just uh, spend the next 30 seconds that I'm going to be talking hitting that subscribe button, baby. Yeah. Hitting that like button, baby. Leaving us a sweet, sweet comment, baby. I'm just going to keep getting higher, baby. Oh my god! Uh, uh, t- Tari. I think you've hit the top, Tari. <laughs> Tari. Yes? Where Where the hell can I find you? Oh, baby. You can, where can I find both of you? Oh, you can find me at uh, iTunes. 
You can also find us on <laughs> Stitcher. Ooh. This is too, oh, this is too oh, sexual. Yeah. You can you can find us on Google Play Store or on Podbean, baby. Or you could even go on Twitter to keep track of what we're doing and talking about. Oh, at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G. O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Oh, baby. What? Where can people find you? No, fuck you. <laughs> you, can, you can, I'm just telling you where you can find. They already know where to find me. Oh, I'm just trying to plug this show. All right, Andrew, while Tari's figuring his business out, where can people find you on like, the internet? I feel like I have to whisper it now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Andrew Mena and, at, and on Instagram at the Andrew Mena. Uh, you can also find me on uh, uh, the actual play D&D podcast, Welcome to the Dungeon Hole, available on iTunes, uh, at Dungeon Hole on Twitter. And uh, more fun things coming out soon. Check out my Twitter for developments and updates. Awesome. Lex Michael, where can they find you? <laughs> we already, we already covered this. We're stuck in a time Lex, loop. Lex Quick, <laughs> someone pull the plug. Future Tari, get us out of here. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. It's at Tari J. <laughs> it's at Tari J. That's the end of that. <laughs> oh, um, goodness. That was delightful.